Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is November 3rd, 2015. This is episode 1671 of the Survival Podcast, and uh, today's going to be an interesting one. I am starting to do some shows that are back to the basic shows. And I have a project with that, too, that will be coming up that I'll talk about when I get into the main uh, part of today's show. But today we're going to talk about building a bug-out bag. And I realize we haven't actually talked about that in a long time on this show. And it's a critical thing to anybody that's living a prepared lifestyle. But I also realized some things about bug-out bags and bug-out bag discussions online. If you look at how specialized people get with their bug-out bags, how advanced people get with their bug-out bags, what I know happens, because I've talked to people, a lot of new people look at this and go, holy crap, it's going to cost me $1,000 to build a bug out bag. I may not actually need it. Uh, I'm going to do some other, th I, I'll figure some other stuff out. I, I don't know. It doesn't get done. Well, I'm going to tell you how to build a bug out bag today, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you could do this for $100 or less. And that the majority of what you need is probably laying around your house or can be picked up for a few bucks. Some of the stuff you can probably get at a dollar store, etc. The most expensive thing is probably going to be the bag itself. And if, you, if you're like most people, there's bags laying around your house. And I'll tell you what. I, I, I'm going to recommend today that you get something like a, a decent backpack so that you can be hands-free if you have to carry this thing. But if you had to take an old pillowcase and throw all this crap in it, it would be better than not having it. Okay. It would be better than not having it at all. I'd rather you have an old stinky gym bag that you air out and, 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 and maybe throw some mothballs in for a day to de-stink it and load it up with this stuff and have it in your vehicle than not have it at all. Today's show is all about not letting perfect be the enemy of the good or not even letting perfect being the enemy of the adequate for most instances. Before we get into that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping to make sure the show is here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor of the day number one today is jmbullion.com. When I'm looking for silver or gold, I go to jmbullion.com and I'll tell you why. They're a small enough company that I can personally communicate directly with the president, Michael, at any time of my choosing. And that means as, uh, as someone that's endorsing them, if you ever have a problem that doesn't get resolved by their customer service, which is 99% of the time stellar anyway, I can make sure that it gets taken care of for you. And I think that's really important in my sponsors. Next is pricing. The entire point of buying silver and gold is it's the same, it's the same, it's the same. You get the same Silver Eagle from JM Bullion as you do from Atmex or Monex. It's exactly the same. It's the same purity, it's the same weight, it's the same design, it's the same cut. It is the same. It's like buying a Wilson basketball, whether you buy it from you know Walmart or Academy Sports and Outdoors. It's the same. That's the point. So why pay more? So why not deal with a company that's a small company, that has great customer service, that offers free shipping on all orders, and has better pricing when you're buying the same thing. Now, why silver and gold? I'm not an all-in guy. I'm not the guy that, like, you need to get out of the dollar. They're going to burn it to the ground. It's going to be worthless tomorrow. By the way, give me your dollars and here's some silver. I'm not that guy. But I do know that the plan for our money is a continued devaluation through the process of inflation, which is a hidden tax on the wealth of the American people. And I know that's the case because the former chairman of the Federal Reserve said so on the floor uh, of the, the United States House of Representatives while being questioned by Ron Paul. He admitted that. 
and said, it's okay. That's the way the system works. It's supposed to work that way. Well, if that's the plan, then my plan is to make sure I have a wealth assurance policy. We talk about insurance a lot, but assurance is, is equally important. And the way I personally do that is I have 10% of my net wealth, roughly, in silver and gold. I recommend that you do something similar. My personal recommendations are that you consider uh, a wealth assurance program of 5% to 10% of your net wealth in hard commodities like silver and gold. And if you need silver and gold, I can't give you a better recommendation than JM Bullion. Check them out today. And remember, members of our support brigade, you do get a discount on larger orders from JM Bullion. Check the benefits section of your MSB account to learn more about that. And sponsor of the day number two today is the awesome, illustrious Chef Keith Snow with HarvestEating.com, where he'll teach you to make cooking a, a life skill by focusing on technique over recipe. If you don't think cooking is a survival skill, brother, you've never lived on MREs for six months like I have. You get pretty creative in those situations. Being able to cook all the food that we talk about growing for ourselves and sourcing locally is a great way uh, to enhance your quality of life and to save money. If you're not, if you know, if you become a great cook, you're not going out to expensive restaurants. And Chef Keith has a lot of ways to help you do that. He has an awesome podcast. He has a really great YouTube channel. And uh, right now, he's got some of the coolest uh, sauces you'll ever find: pasta sauces and new packaging that makes shipping a lot easier. Things like creamy basil, flame roasted red pepper. Sun-dried tomato and rosemary. Uh, soon he'll be moving things over to Amazon, but for now, just go ahead and check out HarvestEating.com for all of that and more. Remember, Chef Keith will help you make cooking into a life skill. With that knocked out, I want to go ahead and do our history segment. 1671, I have two for you. Today from Alex Shrug at TSPWiki.com, the self-sufficiency survival, self-reliance, and liberty-oriented wiki made by the TSP community itself, an encyclopedia of knowledge that you can contribute to. And if you're thinking, I don't know how to contribute to a wiki, maybe you should learn. It's a valuable skill, and you can get on over to TSPWiki.com, and there's videos that show you exactly how to do everything. So you can edit articles, expand articles, put your own articles on there, But our number one contributor, without a doubt, to the Survival Wiki at TSPWiki.com is Alex Shrugged, who does these history segments for us for every episode. Today I have a jury of pens peers and jury nullification. I also have making a grab for the family jewels. As entertaining as that sounds, I'm going to read a jury of pens peers and jury nullification. Thousands of Quakers fill English, English prisons. Some cells they are packed cheek to jowl, and the Quakers have refused any comfort. Their crimes are refusing to take oaths and not attending Anglican services. To be fair, a few of them have been disruptive, but even the worst of them would never rate prison time in the modern day. In 1668, William Penn, the guy that Pennsylvania will one day be named after, was thrown into the Tower of London for criticizing all the major religions except for the Quakers. Penn is a Quaker. He is finally released and unrepentant. He tests the new London laws against unlawful assembly and is put on trial with a jury of his peers, but Penn denied a defense, and the judge sequesters the jury without food and water until they bring a verdict of guilty. In an act of jury nullification, the jury finds Penn not guilty. Nevertheless, Penn is thrown into prison, along with the jury. The jury is also fined the equivalent of a year's salary. In the end, Penn and the jury are released. William Penn writes another pamphlet that is published this year entitled The Great Cause of Liberty of Conscience. 
My take by Alex Shrug, who puts these together for us. In a case of jury nullification, a jury should be allowed to rule without fear of government reprisal. Also, habeas corpus becomes legal precedent. That is the right of the citizen to report his own lawful detention before a court of law. The term habeas corpus means to produce the body, which are the first few words of the writ, demanding the plaintiff come before the court. British law, as one would recognize it today, is still coming together, and this is how it all happens. Not with intellectual consideration and careful reasoned debate, but by goofing things up left and right and realizing that we all have to do things better, a lot better. On a different note, if the king seems distant and unconnected to this episode, that is because he was too busy warring, whoring, oh, uh, I mean, tending to his personal business. His subjects were so upset with his public folly they would protest in the street, which may explain why public assembly was outlawed. The queen actually fainted when the King Charles II introduced her to one of his mistresses. Obviously, he was leaving the administrative and legal details of governing to his ministers. Uh, my take by Jack Spirico, let's talk about modern jury nullification and what that's really all about, because I think it's important if you believe in liberty. If you're ever summoned to appear on a jury, you will be told that you are to judge the law and nothing more. You are to judge whether or not the case that has been made against the defendant has been proven that the person has actually violated the law as it's written on the books, as though you have no right to judge the law that underlies the charge, only the charge. This is bullshit. This is bullshit. There are multiple checks and balances on the government in this country, and they are not just three branches of government, but they are the various layers through which anything has to pass for any action to be taken for or against a citizen of this republic. When it comes to laws, the first check and balance is the three branches. Does it pass judicial muster if it's you know, challenged in Supreme Court? Does the legislative branch have the wherewithal to get it through and provide the funding for its enforcement? And will the executive power sign off on it? Or if they won't, is there sufficient majority in the legislative branch to get it passed? We all learned this in civics class, and that's where it all ends. And bullshit. Because then the next thing that happens is it has to be handed down to the various bodies of law enforcement. And if the law enforcement officers say, yeah, we're not arresting people for that because, oh, I don't know, it violates our oath. For instance, they pass a law that says to you know gather up all the guns. We're not doing that. Did you change the Constitution? No, and we're not doing that. So you have to get the law to be enforced. That's an extreme example, but there's a lot of laws that cops look the other way from, at least good cops do. A lot of them. Like, I'm not taking this guy in for this. They could arrest you, but they don't. That's the good cops. Let that land where it may if you're a law enforcement officer. So you got to get the cop to enforce it. Then you have to get a prosecuting attorney for the state to take it up and take it to court. okay? And in certain instances, it's not even that simple. It has to be put before a grand jury that simply decides, is this actually worthy of going to trial? If the defendant says, I don't want to do this, I didn't do anything, you have to prove that at least there's enough evidence to warrant a trial. Then it has to get to the trial. And then the jury gets to decide guilt or innocence. In the Constitution, it does not charge the jury in any way to obey the state in making their judgment. It only charges them to judge as a jury of peers. Which means if the state has a law 
and we as a people are opposed to it, and they can't get a jury to convict on it, it's their problem. Jury nullification is one of the most important and untaught realities in America today. A jury that renders a verdict of not guilty ends the, the prosecution of the individual. Now, the state may try to find another way to charge them on different charges, but once you're found innocent, you're innocent, even if everybody knows you did it. So, for instance, if you're ever charged with judging someone who was convicted of something like possession of a couple ounces of marijuana, and since it's more than an ounce, it's a serious crime wherever that person is, and you're brought before them and they produce, and you believe the guy had it, but you don't believe that should be illegal, you vote not guilty, there's nothing anybody can do about it. And if enough of you vote not guilty, it's over. It's done. Especially with things we have now where states issue permits for things like growing industrial hemp, and then the federal government, if it decides to prosecute, I'd say the jury is called to recognize that the individual acted with authority of the lower state body. Just me. But I'm all for jury nullification, but I'm also not for being stupid about it. If I ever end up on a jury, they probably won't let me, but if I ever end up on a jury, and for instance, the charge against somebody is that he beat up a little girl, like the cop we talked about yesterday, and he's being charged with assault on a minor, and I believe he did it, I'm not nullifying that. I'm not nullifying that. Would I prefer that there was an alternate way to prosecute that person or to bring reprisal against that person other than the state as an anarchist? Yes, I would. But it doesn't exist. And if you ask me to sit on a jury and I believe the scumbag beat up a little girl, yeah, he's going to jail. My take by Jack Spierko. All right. Uh, with that, do consider joining the member support brigade. If you do, you can help support the show at a whole whopping 18.3 cents an episode. And remember, there's a lifetime membership sale that is going to happen tomorrow at 9 a.m. We'll go live on the blog. We're selling 15 memberships. When they're gone, they're gone. It's 300 bucks for a lifetime membership, $50 a year for everybody else, and a discount for military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, and first responders. Uh, you can find out by emailing me at jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com with TSPC service discount subject line. On the lifetime membership, there is no discounts for no one. It's just that one thing. And if you're new to the show, you might think that's crazy, $300 for a lifetime membership. If you've been around a while, you might realize what a great deal it is. And I only do it a couple times a year. This is the last time this year. And probably the last time until like the middle of next year or the end of next year. I don't do this a lot, as you guys know. All right. So with that, let us get into the main topic of today's show, ladies and gentlemen. I want again today to kind of go back to a basic show. And I know the... Intro segment, we have our sponsors, we have, you know, Plan of the Week wasn't here this week uh, because, you know, uh, Bob didn't get the stuff to me, so maybe it'll be another you know, day or whatever. Uh, and we, you know, we have history segments today. I thought it was an interesting history segment because it brings up the issue of jury nullification. But for a brand new person to the show, they, especially if you're just trying to expose them to something really, really basic, they may want, not want to listen to all that. So if you wanted to send somebody to the show and say, hey, just jump to like 13 and a half, 14, 15 minutes in. Wouldn't hurt my feelings, and it may be the best way to introduce people to this show uh, if they are a little resistant to begin with. And start right about here. So, what I want to talk to you guys about today is the basics of preparedness from a standpoint of a bug out bag, or for those that use the shorthand terminology, a bob. And I, I want to explain where I'm coming from with this today. I 
again, have seen really awesome, you know, layouts of people's, you know, 72-hour kit, bug-out bag, whatever you want to call it, online with pictures and everything done up military style and all, and really advanced stuff, and that's great. And I think that if you can make your stuff that concise and that reliable that you should, especially of the time, the money, the resources, and the know-how, fine. But the problem with I, that I see with it is people get very uh, hung up on it to the point where new people look at it and go, this is just over my head. I, I, I just don't know where to start, and I don't have the money for all this crap, and they end up not having a bug-out bag at all. And a, a lot of times these are even people that put basic preps together. You know, They have a, what you'd call a, a, a blackout kit in the house, which is just a place where you have you know your your flashlights and your candles and your batteries and all that stuff. So if the power goes out, you can go there and grab it. And maybe they even start doing some food storage and all. But they get really hung up on this bug-out bag thing because it seems way too advanced for them. And it doesn't have to be. So what I decided to do today was put together a list of things you could put in a bug-out kit that you would be able to get the majority from most people in their house if they just went out and found the stuff they would be able to put together. And the stuff you did buy would be really low cost. And over at least a few weeks, you could slowly do it without really you know, harming your ability to go have a beer after work or anything. But for that to work, I, I have to start out with you know, what is a bug-out bag and what is it not? Okay, a bug-out bag is a 72-hour kit. It's designed to support your basic needs for a period of three days. Which means it probably could get you by if you can acquire some other stuff for a week. It is not a battle kit. It is not so you can be Jack Bauer and fight spies. It is not so you can run off in the wilderness and survive for six months. It is a basic overnight kit times three is the easiest way to think about it. So with that said, why do we need one? Well, we need one for a variety of reasons. First of all, I want you to understand... My everything I teach predisposes that if you're given the opportunity with reasonable security and safety at hand, in any disaster, you would either stay home or your chief objective in life would be either be to get home or to get to some other place of relative safety, security, and comfort. In other words, I'm out of town, something really bad has happened locally. My aunt lives in this city. My home is 200 miles away. I'm going to my aunt's house, right? Uh, or I'm stuck and I, I'm going to have to get a hotel. Down to, I got to go to the shelter. But one way or another, my teaching is you don't go survive on your own in the wilderness unless you're bushcrafting and you just want to. Your objective is a place of relative safety and security. So I don't spend a tremendous amount of time talking about bug-out bags other than you need one and you should have one. And then, so my basic core that I want you to have when you put one together is designed to deal with what could go wrong. And here's the types of things that no one thinks about that really happen all the time. You're away from home and your partner, your child, your best friend, whatever ends up injured in some way and has to go to the hospital and you are sort of at least relatively okay. And now where you really need to be is at their bedside, at the hospital. Okay, This has happened more times than you can imagine to people 
in this audience. I've gotten the emails from people that says, basically, my Bob saved my butt for that very thing. Kid has a allergic reaction to something at the Russell Hospital. And it, if you're a parent, you know, and your kid's in a hospital and they're admitted, you're not leaving. You're going to be there until you wear yourself out. And if you're a mom and dad team, you know, you might rotate out. But it's one thing if home's 30 minutes away, but what if home's four hours away? That's a, a perfect example of when you, you, you really need something like this. What if you're at work and there's some type of major disaster and the roads are blocked? I don't even care what it is. It doesn't have to be civil unrest and riots. Maybe it's just a storm. And it came in unexpected, and certain things happened, and the, and the highways are just shut down. You're stuck at work for a day. I mean, I guess you can raid the vending machines, but it wouldn't wouldn't it be a good idea? Or what? It, you know, the reason I teach you to stay home is you have relative safety and security. If nothing else, one of your primary survival needs is met: shelter. You have a roof over your head and walls around you. Well, what if you don't? What if you don't? What if a storm rips the roof off your house and that roof's not over your head anymore? These are all reasons that we may be displaced or simply encumbered in our ability to return. And, and you have to understand that that's what I'm talking about today to get the basics out. And then we need to understand next up, what are a bug out bag's biggest limitations? What are the, the, the most specific limitations you have on putting your, your bug out bag together? And they are load-bearing ability of the person carrying it, It does you no good to have a 150-pound pack if you can't if you can't carry it. it. It really doesn't. Now, you can have 150 pounds of gear. You might as well have most of it in your car then. Because I don't know about you, but I'm never really that far from one of my vehicles. Okay? Um, and, or a rented vehicle or what have you. Okay? Or a friend's vehicle or what have you. I don't do a lot of cross-country hiking. So it's the, the load-bearing, and it's the spatial limitations, how much you can fit in there. So what happens is a lot of times people have this idea of everything but the kitchen sink in the bug-out bag, and they really quickly exceed those limitations. And then as they start making decisions, they make it based on things like, well, i got to have a tent, and that and i got to have a blanket, and that takes those two things take up a huge amount of space. And then things that would be far more practical for the things that you would probably need are left out when that type of stuff, if you want to have it with you, can be stored in a vehicle. So understand, those are your two biggest limitations, is your load-bearing ability and the dimensions of the bag itself, what can fit in it. So this puts a hampering on things like how much water we can carry. So I want you to think about that as we go through this. And I want you to understand, like, there is going to be tons of opportunity for you listening to this show today, especially if you've been prepping for a long time and you've put together a really concise bug out kit. But what about blank? What about this? What about that? My response to that is put that in your bag. There may be some, I don't know that you need that, then don't put that in your bag. But what I'm trying to do today is convey the basics that a person needs when they're relying on that kit. The most basics. And I had to constantly, and I, I almost fear I went too far anyway, but I had to constantly drag myself back in because I started putting everything that's in my kit. Uh, no, no, that's not basics. Okay, I've been doing this show eight years. I've been a prepper in earnest in, in kind of this, you know, modern second time around since about 2001. 
That's a long time. And for someone that's not even got a bug out bag put together, saying, hey, you got to have everything I do, it's just stupid. So I'm not going to do that. So that's, that's where I'm coming from today. So let's start off with the items that you need. First of all, this, the reason, some of the stuff that's in here is just because I know you have it. I know we all have extra clothing. All of us do. We even sometimes have extra clothing that's kind of a little bit worn out. We're about ready to send to Goodwill or something, but it doesn't have holes in it yet. It makes a little threadbare or whatever, but it's still, that's good stuff. That's good stuff for this, for the basics. You need three days of clothing. And I'm really speaking to the females in the audience when I say, that does not mean three outfits. That doesn't mean three days worth of clothing when you're going on vacation. That means enough clothing to get through three days in relative comfort. So that is a pair of pants and a pair of shorts. Okay, That is not three pairs of pants and three pairs of shorts. It doesn't matter if they match. Ladies, just saying. I know some people are going to be mad that I'm putting it that way, but you know, it, it's honest. It's honest. I've never seen a guy go, I don't want to put these pants in my kit because I don't know if they match my shirts or my eyes. We don't think that way. Most of us don't anyway. But just a pair of shorts and a pair of pants. And, you know, a little, if you have stuff that's a little bit big on you, use that. It's easy to wear a belt. It's hard to squeeze into something. Okay? Your stuff might be in there for a year before you use it. Just accept that body types change. And if it's big, it can go over other things. If it's tight, it can't. You're not dressing to impress here. We're dressing to be comfortable. Okay? So a pair of pants, a pair of shorts... At least two shirts, I say three, with one of them being like a long sleeve button down, like something that is like a layerable shirt. Could be worn alone or could be layered over the other shirt. Three pairs of socks, three pairs of underwear. Okay? Those are critical to staying basic sanitary needs so that you don't get fungal infections and itches and jock itch. And if, you're, if your feet are screwed, you're screwed. And there's always a potential when something like this is going on to be really wet. And that's why it's important to have this clothing. So all of the clothing should be put into Ziploc bags, if it'll fit. The Ziploc bag should have as much air pushed out of them as possible and zip shut. Now, if you want to use vacuum seal bags or whatever to do this, that's fine. I'm trying to keep it basic. You can keep the clothing dry and compact it so that more of it fits in the bag. Okay. Um, the next thing is for your sanitation. This is as much to keep you healthy and safe as it is in situations where your health and safety is not in that big of a condition, a problem to keep you happy and content and feeling decent. I think everybody should carry some powder. When you can't take a shower, at least you can stay dry in your joints, your groin area, your feet. So some basic powder, whatever you like. Soap of some kind. So that you can clean up. Towel and a washcloth. Small towel. Rolled up really tight in Ziploc bag. Okay? Uh, a lot of things in my show notes today I have ZLB next to that means Ziploc bag. I don't even have that for here. If you can cram it into a Ziploc bag and you can push it down and you can save space with it and you can close up that Ziploc bag and it'll keep it dry, put it in a Ziploc bag. Put Put your ID card to Ziploc. Put, here's why. Not only are you making that item more secure, easier to find and pull out and keep separated from other items, but you also have a Ziploc bag. This is a container. 
It can hold water. It can hold food. It can be used for so many things. So literally, if I can, if I can find a Ziploc bag, it'll fit in. It goes in a Ziploc bag, whether it needs to or not. Just because that's another, that's a thing that takes no space that I have another asset with that Ziploc bag. Okay. Uh, but towel and a washcloth. Um, and that's, I mean, you guys that have been in the military know, like, if you, if you can't take a shower, at least being able to soap up a washcloth and clean your pits behind your knees, the growing area, the back of your neck, right, your feet, and then rinse off that, uh, uh, washcloth really good so it's water, and you just have to get all the soap off, you shouldn't leave any residue behind, and then dry yourself well. It goes a long way to in, ensuring your your security from a sanitation standpoint and just your overall feeling and morale, which is really important in stressful situations. A personal kit. This is up to you. Uh, you know, This is like for your shaving stuff, deodorant, toothpaste, etc., as much as you can in Ziploc bags. All right? Especially anything that can leak. Anything that can leak should probably be in a Ziploc bag rolled up in a Ziploc bag rolled up. Okay? Uh, toilet paper. Definitely in Ziploc bags. Easiest thing you can do with toilet paper, uh, depending on how much space you have, pull the cardboard tube out of the center, smash it flat, put it in a Ziploc bag. If you're like my wife, my wife buys like these giganto rolls of toilet paper. Like when you put them on the toilet paper, they barely spin because they like hit the wall. I don't know what brand she's buying. Now, my wife, my wife is the ultimate toilet paper prepper. If our house ever catches on fire, the toilet paper alone is going to burn for days. And she buys, like, the Primo Cadillac toilet paper. So if you have a big, giant roll like that, maybe you use, wait till you, like, three-quarters are gone, pull the tube out, smash it down, put it in a Ziploc bag. Toilet paper is valuable for so many things. Fire starting as toilet paper, cleaning things. It's just marking things. When I, when I hunt, I always make sure there's toilet paper on me in case I have to take a load in the, in the, in the bush. But also, if I'm tracking a deer, I'll use it to see, is that really blood? And if it is, leave that there. It's easy to retrace your trail. There's a lot of things toilet paper can be used for beyond its basic thought of need. So that all needs to be in your sanitation kit. Okay, Lighting. Uh, you should have a decent flashlight. Some, and again, there's, you know, I really love a good quality uh, 3D cell mag light because it's a self-defense tool. It's really bright. It has a lot going for it. It's rugged. If it gets all wet, it's still going to work. Uh, I have like seven of those, and it's a great light. It's a bit bulky to be in a bag, though. I have a little Coleman light in mine. It's a pretty good light. It has the ability to switch between colors, but I don't care. Uh, there's a lot of great flashlights out there. And you should probably be carrying, I carry like a Streamlight Stylus Pro as part of my EDC or everyday carry in my pocket. But something a little bit bigger, something that's either going to be run on at least double or triple A's, uh, and, and trying to think about all the other things we're going to talk about today, as much as you can get that uses the same batteries, the better. So I'll keep that D-cell mag light like under the seat of my truck. And then in my bag, I still want a small, decent hand light, something that probably runs again on double A's. Okay? I also want a headband flashlight. A headband flashlight. I have a, some of the stuff I'm talking about today, and I don't have any affiliate links in this. This is just so that you can see what I'm talking about. Okay? So if you look at the show notes today, you'll see a headband flashlight and a little link that says like this. Anywhere you see like this, you can click on it. It'll take you to Amazon. I don't care if you buy what I'm showing you. I'm just showing it to you so you know what I'm talking about. So you want some sort of a light that you can put around your head 
and have hands-free lighting and be able to see. Okay, You need two spare sets of batteries for each. And where are you going to put your batteries? In Ziploc bags. Okay, uh, And I also think it's a really great idea, and you'll see as we, you see the other items later where this might be useful for you, to get a USB LED bar light. Again, I have a like this link in the show notes today. This is a little flexible metal flexible with a USB on one side and a little bar with a, a number of LED lights on it. If you have one of the things we'll talk about in a minute, which is a 12-volt to USB adapter that you can put in like a cigarette lighter in a vehicle for charging your smartphone, you can get them with two USB on them at least. And that's what you should do, at least two. And that way you can plug your phone or charging device into one. You can take that little LED light that draws very little power And you can stick that into the other LED, and you can light the interior of the vehicle while you're inside it without you know, running your dome light or whatever, and that allows for some level of security. But this is also very useful in many other ways. When you're, if you have a laptop, it'll, it'll provide lighting for that. And any USB port, you can stick that thing in, you can light up an area with. And it's, it's very valuable. It's another source of light that's hands-free, that's low-draw. And doesn't rely on the same power as your first two lights. It relies on a different source of power. Okay, moving into tools. You should have a decent knife. I carry expensive knives. I'm a little bit, after meeting Patrick Rohrman and having him make some knives for me and, and some other things from empty knives, I'm kind of a knife snob. But I, I don't really care. I want you to have a cutting edge that you can... Do basic work with, and it's not going to fall apart in your hands or be dangerous to you. There is a knife called a Wahoo Killer. They sell for like two bucks. It's like a knockoff of Mora, and Mora is like a good cheap knife. I don't care if that's what you have. I don't care if you find an old kitchen knife that's a decent knife. Sharpen it up. Make a, a sheath out of cardboard and duct tape. And so the blade's safe in there, and put that in your kit. Have a decent knife of some sort. Okay, I don't care if it's anything from a cold steel lawman. What's in my pocket right now? I always carry different folders for the heck of it. Uh, I have an Emerson Bulldog in, in, in my pocket right now. I don't care what it is. Have a decent knife. But I would say that for your bug out bag, you want a knife with at least a four inch blade, three to four inch blade on it in there. And it would be a good idea maybe to have that knife be a fixed blade. Fixed blades are useful in some, some situations where maybe a folder is not as useful. Okay, So a decent knife. Two is one and one is none. That's part of the basics of preparedness. So the next thing I have in here will also have cutting edges on it, and that is a decent multi-tool. Okay, So it's up to you whether you want to use a Leatherman or a Gerber tool or whatever, but not a $4.99 cheap plastic one unless that's all you can afford. If that's all you can afford, get the cheap plastic one and put it in there until you can do better. I'd rather have that than nothing. The, the big thing multi-tools give you is you have the ability to use to basically turn screws with a Phillips and a straight edge. You have another cutting edge, and you have a pair of pliers. With that, you can fix a lot of things that may not be perfect but good enough to get by. Okay, So again, would it be great to have a little ratchet kit and a little screwdriver? Yeah, 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 but basics today. The most basics I can go. So a decent multi-tool. Duct tape. Uh, if you have room for it, just get a roll of duct tape and put it in there. In Ziploc bags. Yes, Ziploc bags, right? Um, why? Because it gets 
gooey and sticky and gets on all your other stuff. If you don't have room for a whole roll, take a piece of cardboard of the size you want to make it and, and wrap duct tape around it flat like, like almost like a credit card type thing as much as you, you are comfortable carrying and put that in a Ziploc bag. Right. And then you have duct tape. The next thing I really recommend you have are some zip ties of various sizes, from small to large. And if you can get your hands on some re reusable zip ties, there's zip ties they make that you can put them on something, and there's a little lever, and you push it, and they're un you can un you can take them back off and still use them again. Okay, those are awesome. Those are awesome. Uh, I use them all the time on my little farm. Just for temporary fencing, we'll set up temporary fencing with them, and when I want to move it, you just take them off. And, you know, after a few weeks or, or more of moving fencing around on and off, on and off, they can get brittle, and they break. Some, sometimes if they're not being used a lot, it takes, you know, a season or two for them to get brittle and break. But it doesn't matter. They're still cheap. And you can, so, some Ziploc, uh, not Ziploc, some, uh, some zip ties in your bug out bag. Cordage. Um, when we look at wilderness survival, There's certain things that we can make, but they take a lot of time and energy. Cordage is one of those. Sure, I can go out and start tearing apart. Uh, around here, yucca would be a great source of it and get fibers out of it and make up some cordage. But if I want to make a lot of cordage, like 20 feet is a lot when you're making it by hand, it's going to take a lot of time. And, it, you know, 20 feet of cordage fits in your pocket. Now, what I have in my list today is whatever you can get. So a lot of people are very enamored with paracord. I think paracord's a fine product. I think having a 50 to 100 foot hank of paracord or two 50 foot hanks of paracord bundled up in nice little bundles in your bug out bag is a fine idea. Put them in Ziploc bags. Um, but I don't think paracord is as great as a lot of people. You can take it apart and make it six times or seven times as long by splicing it. Yeah, okay. We're in the middle of a crisis, and we need to lash something up. One of the best tools for this is tarred bank line. Um, it's something I've been using my whole life as a fisherman. A bank line. You might see the connection there. I use tarred bank line with jug fishing for catfish, with running limb lines, all types of things. You get a, a roll of it, a very long roll of it. Um, it. It's very small. It's got a cardboard tube inside of it, a rigid cardboard tube. And the thing you want to do is make sure it's actually tarred bank line. And what I mean by that is a lot of times there's like a little bit of stickiness on the outside of it. And after you take about three rolls off of, of, of it, it goes to like there's no tar on it. It's just like dark string. Tarred bank line is tarred bank line. That's why it's called that. And it has a sticky tar on it. And that means when you tie a knot, it holds really beautifully. It manages really beautifully. If you need to hold up a lot of weight, you can run five or six together and, and bind them together, and you've got a lot of load-bearing capacity. Uh, if you need to improvise a shelter, if you need to tie something up, if you need to do anything with cordage, there's no better bang for your buck than real tarred bank line but you need to make sure that's what you're actually getting your hands on. So I recommend you, you do that. And then I'll tell you, as you're trying to like make space for everything, that, that hole, anything you have a hole in, fill it up with something. right? So you can keep some of your other gear in that hole inside that tube. Because this is one of those things I'm not going to tell you to try to pull the core out of and flatten to save space for a variety of reasons. But the biggest one is I can take that, and if I need to run out a long piece... I can do something like limb a tree off 
and throw it over there like a toilet paper roll, and I can spool off of that. And it's really convenient to be able to do that. I do think it also makes sense to carry at least 25 feet, if not a little bit more, of a good quality rope that has some real load-bearing capacity that's kind of a soft rope that's something that you can you can use to pull or drag things without it really cutting into your hands. So you can always improvise a handle. But with cordage, I'm going to say what you have, what you can get, what you can afford. But put something in there because this is a need that comes up often. On food, what I'm really going to start with today then is what I have last in my list, which is whatever you want, but be realistic. Okay, I see people with their bug out bags and they have like, you know, nine uh, mountain house uh, freeze dried meals in their bug out bag crammed in there all gnarled up and everything. And okay, so does that really help you when you're laying on the floor next to your kid's bed at the hospital? If you do end up in a really bad way where you're at like some kind of a shelter, they're probably not going to let you fire up any type of uh, fire or anything anyway. So unless you've got some way to heat that up that's somehow self-contained, it may not be that useful. Uh, it takes time. It takes water, which is already something difficult to carry in abundance. I don't have anything against it. I'll be completely honest with you. I have three meals, three double meals, so that would feed me and my wife, of that type of food in my bug-out bag. So I'm not saying not to do it. I'm just saying it's not really as advantageous as maybe a lot of people believe. So I have certain things that I've learned over the years that carry well, that store well, and that don't get nasty when you leave this thing in your car multiple times in the heat, okay, and don't explode in the cold. So one is the go-to, beef jerky. Beef jerky is protein, it's calories, it tastes good, and it's always welcome. And there's a flavor for everybody. So I like the big bags of beef jerky that come in the resealable Ziploc-style bags. It's yet another bag. It's another container when it's used up, okay? Nuts, various types of nuts packaged in bags. There's another, it's, it's a fat source, oil and fat, and protein, okay? Uh, one, you know, kind of total junk food, but it's calories and it's carbohydrates, and the way they're packaged makes them store in a bag without getting crushed. Pringles potato chips. And they make the ones in the smaller tubes. Okay? Those are great. Because now I have a tube. I have another container. Okay? A couple of those. Um, canned meats. Especially if you can get them any kind of canned meat that has a pull tab. Tuna fish, for instance. Uh, potted meat. Whatever you actually will eat and you like to eat. And if you have the ones that just open with a pull tab, you know, you're good to go. It is not a best practice to heat up food in the cans that it comes in. But I would warm something like that up if I didn't have a container to warm it up in. Okay? I would use a little bit of heat and, and warm something up like that and use it. I, You know, as a kid, I probably had brain damage from this, but, you know, we didn't know back in the 70s. Um, I used to go fishing all the time, and you take a couple Oscar Mayer wieners and a can of Campbell's pork and beans, and you eat, go ahead and choke down a couple spoonfuls of the pork and beans cold, cut your hot dogs up, set the can in the campfire, and start plucking pieces of hot dog into there and eat a little bit as it warms up and keep doing it so you can fit all the hot dog in there. And then you eat your hot dogs and beans that way. That's not a best practice because there's certain things in canned goods that when we heat the can in a fire like that, we probably put them into the food. But 
this is not a way of life. So that it's an option if you had to do it with canned meats. Crackers. Packed in some way that they won't crush. Saltine crackers last damn near forever, especially if they're in, you know, their original packing, packaging, and then in a Ziploc bag. Some type of hard case for crackers is a good idea. Peanut butter uh, is a great thing to carry. Um, you know, a small container of peanut butter, crackers. If you have what I just laid out, you are not going to live like a king, but you can you can provide for yourself calorically for a few days. And it's comfort food. It's something to eat while I figure out where I'm actually going to procure maybe better food. Do I think you should do a little better than this with your food? Yes, but you know what? Anybody in the next two weeks can put together a bug out bag with, with those things in it, even if you just buy one bag, one big bag of beef jerky a week for three weeks at six, eight bucks a bag. And three weeks from now, if you can keep yourself from eating it, you got your beef jerky knocked out. Okay. That's probably one of the most expensive investments to get this thing knocked out. And I think a lot of us can look around in our pantry and see, oh, there's an extra thing of peanut butter that's never been opened. Now, you got to think about this, the temperatures here. So, like, a lot of people say, well, Snickers bars are great because they're high in calories, they taste good. Yeah, and they turn into mushy, crappy nastiness in, in a car. So you got to think about this. Now, if you're the kind of person that has a flexibility where that bug-out bag, when you leave your car, comes in the house, and when you leave your car, it goes to work with you, and you can do that, fine. But just if you're going to put hard candy in there, yeah, it's a sticky, disgusting mess. Okay? So you have to think about your lifestyle and does the food substance going in there match your lifestyle? To me, if you're going to do granola bars, I think granola bars, I'm going to put them on the list. I'm going to do that right now as I'm talking. I'm going to say, I don't know why I didn't put it on there. N-O-L-A bars. And I'm going to put crunchy. Now, why am I putting crunchy? Because if you get the, and I don't, they're not, if I'm going to eat a granola bar, not my favorite. You know what I like? Terrible for me. Totally not paleo. But the sweet and salty nut bars with that caramel gooey crap on them, oh, those are good peanut. Oh, those are good. I always have a big box of those for people at the workshops for their, like, to eat with breakfast or whatever. And I hope you guys eat as many of them as possible so I don't munch on them when you're gone. But that turns into a gooey mess. Those old school 1970s granola bars, oat and honey or whatever, they might get a little sticky, but overall, when you open them up, they're still decent. You know, if you can get your hands on some milk somewhere, you can crumble them up and basically make cereal out of them. There's a lot you can do to, to, to get within the reality of the environmental conditions that you have to deal with, just to make sure some calories going in. And again, whatever you want, but be, real, be realistic. Um, I think we're going to move on to containers next, and I want to start out with the fact that you may have to boil water. One way or another, you may have to. Uh, I'm not trying to turn this into the bushcrafting bug out bag or the you know the mountaineering bug out bag, but there is always the potential that you could end up to that point. Or you might want to heat up some of your food without doing it in the nasty can. So it would be a good idea to add something like a canteen cup or something like that to this list. But again, that's kind of a specialty item, right? So you're going to need at least one good water bottle. I say two in your kit or with your kit attached to the outside. I don't care what you do. But you should have at least two water bottles full of water. If they're aluminum, then they can be used to heat up items. Okay? Aluminum causes brain damage. No, it, no, it, no, cooking with aluminum does not cause brain damage. 
But if it's going to, it's going to be something like cooking large amounts of acidic food like spaghetti sauce every day in an aluminum pan. That might potentially, maybe, have some kind of a health risk. But heating up your can of beans in a, a, an aluminum bottle, not a problem. So a wide mouth one would be a really good idea. Now, if you want to carry some sort of small camp pot or something like that, I think you should. I think it's a great idea. But at least a decent, and here's the thing, they're cheap. You can probably go to Dollar General or any of those stores like that and find a couple aluminum water bottles for a couple dollars a piece. So at least, again, we're at the minimum here, at least do that. Um, if you don't use contractor-grade garbage bags, heavy-duty Badass, heavy-duty garbage bags already for leaf waste and you know certain bulky items that you're going to throw away and stuff. Go buy at least one box of them. One box of them. And for every bug-out bag you're making, fold up really tight and neat and compressed two to four in each bug-out bag. Those can go probably toward the bottom because you're going to be using those when you really are relying on things like improvising a shelter, making a poncho, stuff where you're really kind of put out. And, and, and I think people always think, well, that's the stuff I want to be able to get to really quick. Um, by the time you're that far out, you probably have already started pulling other stuff out of there. You know, you're not... Now, that said, I think it makes sense maybe to take one of them and keep it toward the top where it's easy to get. Because if nothing else, and we're going to talk about this toward the end, it might be a way to evangelize preparedness in an area where it's not an emergency at all. Okay, And there's a lot of flexibility there. And it's about all these Ziploc bags that we have all this stuff, and usually going to be small little Ziploc bags and things like that, at least two, if not four, large Ziploc bags. And when I say large, I mean one gallon or larger. Okay? So much. That can, and I'm not even going to get into what you can do with them, but if, if you ever find yourself in a place where you're like, I wish I had a Ziploc bag, you'll start thinking about all the stuff you can do with them. If nothing else, they can hold water. Look, here's one thing we could do. If we did need to collect water. With a contractor garbage bag, if it rains, we can set up an improvised shelter. That shelter is going to shed water, and it's going to increase the surface area of the water collection. When that's happening, we can take a uh, one-gallon Ziploc bag and hold it where that water is being channeled to. We can fill it up relatively fast, and then we can zip that bag shut, and guess what? We have a gallon of water. We do not need to purify that water. We do not need to sanitize that water. That water can be used for drinking, bathing, or cooking the way that it is. Has it rained? Whatever. This is for emergency. Shut up and use the water. I feel like Stephen Harris a little bit sometimes, but that's the truth. Ziploc bags are... There's so many things. If we have a wound that needs to be kept dry, we can take that Ziploc bag, put it over the wound, duct tape the damn thing on, and keep a wound dry. We end up somewhere with a kid that has a cast on his hand because he broke his hand. I don't know. Garbage bag over it. Ziplocked. Or not ziplocked. Uh, duct taped over it. it. You know, I mean, there's unlimited uses for those types of items, and they take almost no space up. A, a, a bottle of good insect repellent. Nothing makes you more miserable than being fed on by insects. And in some natural disasters, that gets really bad really fast. A flask... These, these are, I have this listed as containers, odds and ends, a flask of whiskey or vodka, etc. I know some people are like, that's not a survival item, that's just so you can booze. Again, I want to talk about evangelizing toward the end of this show, but I also want to say there are times when people are stressed the hell out and you're trying to fix things 
and you need them to shut up so you can think, and if it takes putting a couple shots of vodka down you to shut you up, I'll do it. So it's more for others than for myself. That's why I carry that. I don't have a problem with somebody adding to that a second flask of pure grain alcohol and saying that kind of goes in odds and ends plus first aid, which we'll get to in a little bit. And we'll talk about why we would use that over like a rubbing alcohol in a bit. Okay. Um, next up, kind of fire and energy. Anything that would involve heat or energy beyond just lighting. I think you need to have at least one, I say two, 12 VDC to USB adapters with two USB ports, not the ones that you plug into the cigarette lighter, and they have one measly little USB port on there, you want a double one. Two is one, one is none. Not just so you can plug two things in at once, but sometimes one of them fries out, and the other one still works. I've seen that happen. I say get two of those, because they're so ever-loving valuable. A, at least one USB cable that's for your phone and other devices. And if you have multiple devices, use multiple cables, one for each, at least. I do think most of you probably have stuff like that laying around, can find it, scrounge it, whatever. A lot of you probably don't have a backup power pack. A small external battery that we can charge from the USB port on this thing, we can plug into a wall, what have you. Um, we can plug into a, you know, and then we can take that and dump energy into our smartphone or other devices. So I'm not going to get into which one, because... So many people have so many different preferences and all, but at least one of those. This allows me to do something like this. I'm somewhere I really don't want to be, but I have my car. Um, I'm starting to get worried about the power uh, availability on my device. I have it plugged in. I'm sitting in the car. I'm using my cam, but now I'm going to leave my car. I take my little USB 12-volt uh, VDC thing. I plug in my power pack. That's charging up and topping off like filling up a reserve tank while I'm somewhere else with my phone. If I need to come back, I can start dumping energies right into my device off that thing. And the one I have actually has a USB uh, on one side and a, an iPhone uh, lighting-style plug on the other because I use an iPhone. And what I can actually do with that is while it's plugged into the device, I can plug the phone into it, and the, the pack's charging while the pack's dumping into the phone. So that pack's always full. So if I ever have to grab and go, I have a full tank on reserve with that pack. So that's the, that's how I see that, uh, you know, basically being used. So you want to have a backup power pack of some sort. And basically the better and the, and the more power it holds, the better based on your budget. Coming back to the, um, the 12 volt to USB adapter, I think this is a really important item. And a lot of times you can find them in discount bins at Best Buy and everything. And as I said, it always makes sense to buy one that has two USB ports on it. But I found something really cool for 15 bucks, guys. I mean, it's one of the coolest little products I've ever seen. They're $14.99 on Amazon Prime, and they will ship them to your house for free. It is a 12 VDC, plugs into your, your cigarette lighter, accessory port, whatever you want to call it. And it, it ha so it has a 12 VDC hole in it, so when you plug it in, the hole doesn't go away. And around the perimeter are four USB ports. So you still have the outlet, plus you can charge up the four USB devices, and it's fitting bucks. This, if it isn't in your bug out bag, should be in your vehicle. I think this is something that I'd invest in a couple. And I'd have one in my bag, and I'd have one in my vehicle at all times. 
And if you have a, a, a closet battery bank or anything like we've talked about building before, this is the bomb. This really is. Now, you think about what this will do for you. Anywhere you have that accessory port, you can still have an accessory port. You can have that little LED light that I talked about in there. You can charge up to three more devices. And again, you still have the port. $15. Bucks. I don't know anything else that does this. Um, it's reviewed fairly well. I haven't actually bought one of these yet. I just found it yesterday, but I'm going to order some. And it's got reviews are all over the place. There's 44% are five-star, but 24% are one-star. And I don't know. I think that this is one of those ones that I'm going to, I'm going to hold off of making an official recommendation. I'm going to go ahead and give this thing a shot, and I'll let you know. But there's a lot of other really cool devices that do stuff like this. Uh, I'll put up another one that I think is really awesome as well. Uh, I'll say awesome option number two, and it's uh, it's made by One by One. It is a 12 VDC to four USB adapter, but it doesn't give you the hole back. So hang fire on the other one. I, I as I think about that, since I haven't used it yet, um, the one that I'm going to send you is actually a really great one, uh, really really highly view, uh, reviewed, and I have used this one before. It gives you three, no, I'm sorry, four 2.4 amp USB ports. And this product's also on Prime, and it's $12.99. So I can, I can make a better recommendation on that one for you as I think about that. But make sure you have that. The other thing I'm going to recommend that you have, because everybody, everybody tends to, to, to have these already, but what people don't think about, because whenever you're home, if you need a USB port, there's a computer here, a computer there, whatever, uh, is a... AC to USB adapter. Uh, and I have a little five-pack you can buy for a few bucks that I'll have a link for in the show notes for you as well. Now, we do want the ability to start a fire, and I'm going to give you a way to put together a fire-starting kit that will always work that you can do for under five bucks. And you might not even need to buy anything. You may already have everything at home. Yeah, you, what I want you to do is get two disposable Bic lighters that have never been used before in, and two boxes of matches. And I want you to double bag them in a Ziploc bag. So you put them into a Ziploc bag and then put that bag in another Ziploc bag so that they stay dry and stay safe. If there is any leakage or anything, it's contained. Okay? And then I want you to get another Ziploc bag, and I want you to go to your bathroom. And if you're married, your wife probably definitely has cotton balls in there. You may have them yourself. And I want you to get a bunch of cotton balls, and I want you to, to just grease them up in some Vaseline that you probably have. And I want you to put those in another Ziploc bag. And then bind that together with one of your zip ties and put that in your bug out bag. If you can't start a fire with that, you're done. And people talk about striking, you know, uh, uh, ferro rods, striking rods, you know, and all that. And I have a ferro rod that I carry on my keychain. Um, I have some, I have ferro rods everywhere and, 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 you know, glove boxes and stuff like that because I think they're valuable. But when it comes right down to it, I'm not trying to impress anybody with friction, fire, or throwing sparks. What I want to be able to do is make sure I can start a fire. And if you have Vaseline-impregnated cotton balls and a Bic lighter, and you can't start a fire, you're probably not going to start a fire any other way. There's another option is to coat the, um, the, the cotton balls in wax. I actually like this a little bit better. I think it works a lot better, and I'll tell you how to function stack this. So get yourself a great big candle of some sort and light it and wait till it's kind of really um, got a lot of wax buildup for you. And blow it out so you don't start a fire. 
and start daubing your cotton balls in it and set them aside and let them dry, let them harden. And put those into your bag and relight it and let it make more until you get enough. And you can get like a cheap, um, you know, like four inch, one dollar candle at, the, at the, the, the dollar store to do this with so you don't have to mess up your wife's, you know, scented candle or whatever and, and do that. Um, and then light it again and get it nice and wet. Open up your two boxes of matches. And once you blow it out, just start grabbing, you know, five, six, ten of those little wooden matches at a time. Dip the heads in the wax and set them out to dry. When they're all dry, put them back in. You have waterproof matches. And you've got wax-impregnated cotton balls. And you've got Bic lighters. If you need a fire, you've got a fire. Or you don't have anything to burn. I mean, an arsonist would be happy with that little setup. So that's that's my little advice there. And it doesn't cost anything. I bet you you have a candle. I bet you you have some matches. And I bet you can find in a drawer somewhere some big lighters. Though, as cheap as big lighters are, getting some new ones and, and making sure they're, they're full might be a good idea. Communications. Let's move on to communications. Like, you need a ham radio. and you No, no. What you need, first of all, for communications is you need an address book. You need. A, I don't care if it's an official address book. I don't care if it's a little spiral notebook with everybody's information written down. You know, because everybody's information's in their phone anymore, and the phone might not work, and you might, or the phone might be lost or broken or damaged or fell in the water or whatever. So you have a little notebook or a little address book with all the contact information of people you want on it, and it goes into what a Ziploc bag. It goes in there. Uh, a cheap transistor radio with extra batteries. Uh, I have a link. Stephen Harris selected the one that I use. I think they're 15 bucks. It's made by Sony. It's a little handheld silver transistor radio about the uh, about the size, a little bit bigger than a pack of cigarettes. Uh, it uses, looking at it, AA batteries, so extra batteries for it, and it's AM/FM, and it has a hole for a earbud so you can listen quietly. These things are really stingy on how much energy they use. They don't use much energy at all. And the thing about any kind of battery-powered radio is the number one way that it draws power is in volume. The quieter the setting on it, the less power that it uses. You'll see a lot of times these little, you know, little radios like that that are battery-powered. As the battery begins to get weak, the volume drops because the main source of power draw is the, is the volume. So if you set the volume really low and use an earbud, One set of batteries in a radio like this lasts an awful long time. Two sets of batteries, definitely enough to get all the information you're looking for from radio for a few days. Definitely. Um, too cheap not to have. Uh, again, I have a link to it on Amazon. It's on Prime. They'll ship it for free. One in each bug out bag. Over time, as you shore up your preps elsewhere, this is something that's so inexpensive that it would probably make sense to throw one in the glove box of both your vehicles. Well, if I'm in my vehicle, I have a radio. Really? Uh, what if your vehicle was in a wreck, and now your vehicle has to go away? And this is one thing you can remove before your vehicle goes away if you're stranded somewhere during a, a, an accident. Or you have to leave your vehicle. It's there. Uh, or you're somewhere and you don't want to be running down the power on your vehicle because you're stranded somewhere. And Whatever. Or you just want to entertain yourself uh, and keep your morale up. Too cheap not to have. Well, I'll have one of my bug out back. Two is one, one is none. Anyway, I just I really like this product. Uh, well, you need a weather radio, and all. if you have that, that's great. Um, 
but most of the information you're going to need is going to be available on AM FM in, in reality. Um, when it's coming from main, main sources like that, you, you know, you, your, your weather radio, eh, I have nothing against weather radios. I own several of them. But this is small and cheap and fits in your bug out bag. And that's what this is for. Okay? Um, the next thing is, I think you should take all of your important data, put it on a USB thumb drive, and maybe have multiple copies of that data, but have at least one of those thumb drives in your bug out bag. Somewhere that's easy to access, but, but maybe would be hard to find if somebody was rummaging through it, because that might be, some of that stuff might be somewhat, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You, you, uh, sensitive. You know, set up a passcode on it, whatever, so you have to have the passcode to access it or something like that. Um, that's really important. And then when you do that, you'll probably find that you have things on there that are on like Word documents or Excel spreadsheets or stuff like that. And wherever you go, there's no guarantee that even if you can get a hold of somebody else's computer, that they'll have the software you need to open those things. So go to OpenOffice and download OpenOffice for PC and open office for Mac, and then take the, the programs themselves and throw them on the drive, and that way, even without an internet connection, anywhere that you go, any of the documents you have, you'll be able to open. If it was done in PowerPoint, it'll open. If it was done in Excel, open office will open it. Even if you use a Microsoft product or whatever to do your actual work on your computer, have that so that you can always open stuff. Okay, because it's free and it takes up no space except space on your thumb drive and thumb drives are cheap. Okay, um, next one. In addition to your address book, you should have two small notebooks in Ziploc bags with at least three pens because somebody always borrows your pen and it disappears. You still have two left. If you have two notebooks and you're with somebody and you, you need to separate and they don't have one, you can give them a notebook. You're not going to be able to think straight and remember in some sort of an emergency. And when somebody gives you a piece of information, write it down. That notebook, that's one of the things that need to be high up in your bag. Something you can access easily. So you're not ripping everything out of there when you need it. That's, and I always, a notebook and a pen in your glove box in your car and another one in the map pocket of your car. Never be without the ability to write. I put all my notes in Evernote. That's fine. And if that's available, then do it. But if it's not due to damage, due to whatever, or you know, you can't give your phone to somebody else. You could tear a piece of paper out and give it to somebody else. You can put it in your your you know your phone notes or whatever. But when you need to pass the information on or what have you, or you need to draw something so you remember the way something was arranged. I know I'm getting a little military there, but hey, guys, it happens. All right, so. Two small notebooks and three pens. And if nothing else, it's too cheap not to do it. It takes up so little space not to do it. And then I mentioned with the little transistor radio that has a port for earbuds. I think you should have at least one extra set of earbuds in your bug out back. Even if you carry stuff like that elsewhere. Even if you use your you know fancy Bluetooth earphones or that you wear around your neck for a fashion statement or whatever, you should still have a set of good old-fashioned plug-it-in earbuds. If you have a smartphone... It makes sense, even if you don't buy the expensive one that goes with the phone, as long as you've tested it and made sure it works, you buy some generic knockoff that has a built-in microphone. This allows you to listen to a phone conversation or something and to communicate back quietly and not be heard and be able to hear what noises are around. So either to be quiet when you need to be or to be able to hear in situations where it's hard to hear. If you put a set of earbuds in your ear with a microphone to talk on your phone... I don't care if there's a helicopter 
around you. If you take your two hands and smash them over your ears like the, 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 the hear no evil monkey and smash your ears flat with those in there, you'll be able to hear the other side of the conversation. And how many times have you had the phone in one ear, your hand over your other ear, and you're trying to hear somebody because there's noise around you? And disasters are noisy sometimes, guys. So that extra set, if you lose them, if they get damaged, whatever, it's in there, and it serves double duty because all of those will work with a little transistor radio or, or what have you as well. Okay? Um, a basic first aid kit we're going to go to next. Now, this is not a comprehensive first aid kit. This is the most basic items that if you have them, you'll be able to deal with most things. Over-the-counter counter pain medications. At least a small bottle of Motrin, Tylenol, uh, Motrin and Tylenol and aspirin. Okay, or little packets or whatever you, you, you can get. But the three, because different people respond differently to different pain medications. And, you know, if you have access to high-end pain medication and you want to have it in there, it's within the bounds of the law or your comfort zone and skirting the law, fine. But that is easy, and you can go get it at the dollar store, okay? Antibiotic ointment. For wounds, at least something to put on wounds until you can get a higher level of care. Basic bandages, gauze pads, band-aids, two clean handkerchiefs, and a pair of scissors. That's, that's a minimum for me. Now, there's a lot more that goes, and a good first aid kit is kind of a standalone. To really have a fully equipped, good quality, kind of, you know, basic level first responders kit, It's almost its own package. It doesn't really fit in a bug out bag with all this other stuff. It should be kept in your vehicle. But this stuff can stay in your vehicle and handle most things, including things that make this a very evangelical item to have. And I don't mean that religiously, but to spread prepping as well. Because it's there when you need it. We'll get to the evangelical thing at the end. Okay. I want you to think about the two clean handkerchiefs, though. One of my good friends is Dave Canterbury. And I remember being at an expo one time where we were both speaking, and somebody asked him about a first aid kit. And he had a handkerchief as part of his kit, and he had some duct tape wrapped around the handle of his axe. And he said, that's my first aid kit. And I'm like, what? He goes, if you can't fix it with a handkerchief and a roll of duct tape, you need a helicopter. It's a little oversimplifying, but it's not wholly inaccurate. Because what people are saying, well, there's no quick clot there. There's no Israeli battle dressings. Okay, quick clot, Celox actually is my pre my prefer preferred thing to keep for that. I carry, okay? Uh, and I do carry an Israeli battle dressing in my bug out bag, okay? But not everybody's going to do that. I don't want anybody to wait. Everybody can go get a couple handkerchiefs and have them as part of that first aid kit. They do a lot of uses. And if you do have a wound that's pretty severe, as long as it's not gushing blood and you just want to get it closed up until you can get a higher level of care, you can do worse than to wrap a handkerchief around it and fix that either with first aid tape or freaking duct tape. Just don't tape your hair on your arm. Keep it on the handkerchief, okay? And don't tape it so you make it like a, a tourniquet. Uh, and, and, you know, you'll be all right. Scissors, I know you're carrying a knife, but scissors do things like get a bandage off without cutting somebody and making the damage worse. That's one example that scissors do. That should be in your first aid kit. Okay, some final thoughts on this, because that's it. That's it for the kit, okay? Um, number one, cash is best on your person. There's always a potential that your bag will be separated from you or stolen, and cash is king in an emergency. But I would not fault you for putting some in your bug out bag. 
I would put small bills, $21 bills, you know, 10 $5 bills, and five $10 bills. It would be an example of how to carry, you know, a decent amount of money. And maybe that's deeply hidden, hard to get to. If somebody rifled through it, they wouldn't find it. Uh, they'd have to take the whole bag to get their hands on it, but at least a little extra cash. And some people go, that's easy to reuse it. You have money. I understand. If you, if you can only carry a certain amount of cash, carry it on your body somewhere. Um, I really like belts that have a money belt zipper on the back side of them where you can't see it. And I always have a belt on. And if you have cash in there, it's likely to never be stolen or lost. And it's there if you need it. I'll just add that. Um, I also say carry as much water as you can, but it really makes sense to keep a lot in your car, your truck, your work area, etc. My number one way to store water, and I've got to find a new supply of these because my, my father-in-law is now in a, in a care facility and not drinking this stuff anymore, and I don't drink it, but Arizona iced tea bottles. They're fabulous. They're one gallon or rugged as heck. They, they seal nicely. They've got a screw on top. So much better than like a milk jug style container. And, you know, every one of them is a gallon of water. Four of those, you know, on the, on the floor in the back seat of my truck, I have four gallons of water. I'm not carrying four gallons of water in my bug out bag. I'm just not doing it. When I was in the Army, we carried four gallons of water with us this way. We, or no, we didn't. We had four quarts is what we carried on our person. Two one-quart canteens and a two-quart canteen, a collapsible canteen that was affixed to, the, the, to our pack. And we carry very heavy packs, more than most people are going to carry in a bug-out bag, especially if you're going to be flexible enough to bring that bag back and forth to work with you and keep it under your desk, which is the best practice if you can do it. Okay, That's why there's no gun in there. There's no gun in the bug-out bag. The gun goes on your body. Okay, Just saying. Um, so carry that extra water in your vehicle. You know, No one's going to really think anything odd if you just bring a couple bottles of water to work and maybe not come in there with a huge giant case of it, but over time build some up and have your bottom drawer full up with water or what have you. And water is important for more than what we normally think of, like, uh, you know, drinking and bathing. How about just cleaning up so you can see after a disaster? Do you not remember on 9-11 people standing with dust in their face and eyes blinded and other people using bottled water to wash their face off for them so they could see? It's, you know, when you don't have it, you realize how critical it is. If you, if you want to get a real lesson in how much you take water for granted, shut the main water flow off to your house for a day. So you just don't have it. So you have to go get it. Make sure you have bottles and stuff, like a drill, like a safety drill. And then see how many times during that day you, you, you go take a leak and, or something else and try to flush the toilet. And you flush this once, you go, oh, that was my one. Yeah? Or how many times you walk over to the faucet and just bump it on with your arm because your hands are dirty and nothing comes out of it. Oh, yeah, that's right, the water's off. You'll realize how much you take it for granted. So store as much as you can at home, in your office, in your vehicle. Because uh, you can only carry so much. It's 8.3 pounds to the gallon. And you should have at least a gallon of water a day per person in, in, in kind of you know the best-case, bad-case scenario. So if you were to carry three gallons for just yourself, it's 24 pounds just in water. If you try to do it for two people, it's 48 pounds. Most people don't aren't gonna aren't gonna be able to carry effectively a 48 pound pack. Just in, in reality, I know you can. I know you can. You're the big tough guy. I understand that. But most we're, we're trying to make sure that everybody has one of these guys. Okay. Um, the next thing is store extra food in your car. 
You can do a lot worse than getting yourself a big you know, 50 cal ammo can and putting a bunch of food, that, whatever you can fit in there, and seal that up and keep that in your car. And remember, heat does certain things to certain foods. Okay? Um, do not throw an O2 absorber inside an ammo can. You may never get it open again. Okay? Just saying. It's not necessary. Don't do it. Uh, st store blankets and anything bulky in your car under seats, etc. And we said, why do you have a blanket in your bug out bag? If it fits, you have an appropriate bag and you, everything else is there, fine. I, I get that. But you know what? Take a couple blankets, old blankets that you were going to give to Goodwill, lift the back seat of the truck up and stick them under there. At least they're there. Realize you can't carry everything. Remember, our limitations are load-bearing capacity and spatial limitations on the bug out bag. Um, tents suck, but they're better than nothing. So having a tent in your truck or your car is not a terrible thing. If you ever rely on it, you'll wish you weren't. Uh, I'll just be completely honest with you. Remember why you really have this bag. It ain't to play Jack Bauer. It ain't to play Jack Bauer. It's to provide for your relative support, safety, and comfort for one to three days so you can get somewhere better. It's not to live out of. You know, if you're living out of your bug out bag, your goal is to get somewhere where you can stop doing it as soon as possible. And it's not the sexy thing for survivalists to say, I don't want to be in a survival situation, but you don't. You don't want to be in a survival situation. If, you, if you're in a true survival situation, you're a victim of random acts of God or you screwed up. Okay? As if, you, if you find yourself in a fair fight, you've screwed up. You should always be stacking things to your advantage. Some additional things that I don't have in your uh, bag, but go in your smartphone that I think everybody should do. One, I think you should get a scanner app for your phone. Like the old police scanners, they make apps now. I think the one I have was $4.99 for the pro version of it. I use 5.0 Radio Pro. And I can hear all types of police and sheriff and emergency medical responders activity on my phone with it. Including with my earbuds, I can hear it without anybody else knowing what's going on. Or I can put it on speaker and let other people hear what's going on. It's up to me. Okay, Get the Skype Act app for your phone. Have Skype on your smartphone. Get Skype on your computer. Learn how to use Skype. Buy some minutes for Skype out where your Skype can call phones. I don't need that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. It is likely that you could end up in a place where there is network access of some sort, some sort of Internet access, but not cellular signal. If you have the Skype app and you have call out and you have some, you know, buy 20 bucks worth of minutes, then you can take that Skype app And you can pull up a dial pad, and you can call a phone number, and you can call a phone number across Skype. That sounds crazy. I just used it. When I was at Nick Ferguson's teaching his course, AT&T got no signal unless I went up on top of the hill. At least I could go up on top of the hill if I wanted to. But he had Internet access. So I would jump on his network, pull up the Skype app, dial my wife's phone number. Actually, she's in there as a contact. Hit call Dorothy. And she get a phone call, and I'm on Skype. Now, if you're on, if you have iPhones, and I don't know how Android's working on because it's not my technology, but iPhones have what's called FaceTime, 
And if you're on FaceTime and, and you're on the network, you're on an Internet connection, you don't need cellular access to use FaceTime, and it's free. So that's another option. But I'd still have the Skype app and be able to reach out that way to people as well because not everybody's going to have FaceTime and not everybody's going to be where they have data access. So it can be very likely that you need to call somebody. They have cellular access. You have data access. With Skype out, you can call them. You know, so that's... I, I know some people just don't want to use Skype or whatever. Does it make any sense to me? I, I think it's like technology resistance or fear or something like that. It's free, and then you buy some minutes so you can make some phone calls. I don't have a microphone for my computer. Fine. Don't use it on your computer. Get it on your smartphone. Do this for me. Trust me. I, this is what's going to happen. Somebody within the next six months is going to email me, probably a lot of somebody's, but I'll go on a limb and say at least one somebody in the next six months is to say, because I listen to this show, I put Skype on my phone, I learned how to use it, and it saved my butt. That person could be you. And I'm also going to get emails from somebody. Somebody's going to admit it. I didn't do it because I didn't want to, and I really wish I did because I would have. Okay? Regret sucks. And this, again... Doesn't really cost any money to do this. So get Skype on your phone. Even if you're not going to buy the outbound minutes, as long as the other person has Skype, you can Skype them for free across a data network. It's another means to get out. And I really think everybody in this audience should be on the TSP Zello channel, which is where a whole bunch of people get together all the time using the Zello app and talk to each other. It's kind of like ham radio without having to be a ham. It goes across data networks, yes, or cellular networks, yes. It's on your phone. It's a push-to-talk feature. You can set up your own channels. You can set up a channel and have everybody in your family join that channel. And if there's a disaster, then they, you can all communicate and all hear each other simultaneously. And if you need help, you can reach out to this community through the TSP Zello channel and get help and advice and information relayed. Because we have a tremendous network of people all over the world and certainly all over the country on that. And it's free. It costs nothing. So at least get on there, get familiar with people, talk to people, know how it works. And I really think everybody, again, you should set up a channel, you know, the Spirico family channel and make it a closed channel where only people that you let in can join. And that way, if there's a, if you could have a protocol and procedure in a disaster and protocol is when we do something. So a protocol is the power out protocol. When that happens, now we're going to go into that protocol. Procedures are how we respond. So we can have the, the, the emergency communications protocol. Everybody, as soon as you're alerted to the fact that we're in that mode, even if you're not in danger, other people might need your help. So if you get a text that says, initiate this protocol, you open your Zello app, you turn it on, and you get on that channel and you start listening and seeing what you can do to help. That it, it, well, what if it doesn't work? Well, then you have Skype. Then you have your regular phone. Then you have text. There's this, like, I want to conclude today with kind of this, like, quest for perfection. Well, if you were a ham, then, then none of my family would be able to hear me because none of them are. This works, and someone somewhere can hear you. Well, if the zombies march, this is not about zombies today. This is about basics of preparedness. That Zello channel is one of the biggest assets that we have in this community. And everybody that listens to this should become a member of it.
And you can get that app at Zello.com. You can go to the survivalpodcast.com and you'll see the links of Connect with TSP and you'll see a link right to the Zello channel where you can learn more about it. Uh, it's, it's a great app. It's a great way. You know, I'm not on there all the time or anything, but the fact that it's there is awesome. And again, just familiarize yourself with it and understand this about the Zello TSP channel. I don't run it. It's moderated by community members. It is, in spite of the fact that I curse on this show sometimes, it is a family-friendly channel. If you get on there and start cursing, they will ban you. If you get on there and start mouthing people off, they will ban you. And if you come back to me and say, I got banned from the Zello channel, I'm going to say, I can't help you. I don't have anything to do with the management of that channel. And that's how I try to set things up so they're autonomous and don't require me. But if you get the 5.0 Radio Pro app, which does cost five bucks if you want the pro version, Skype app, which is free, throw a little bit of money on it so you can Skype out, and get on the Zello channel and make sure that you have ways to charge your phone. It's almost, and then have text messaging that works even when you're on edges of networks and barely getting by. It's almost inconceivable that you will ever be in a situation, unless your phone is exploded, that you can't get in touch with somebody that can help you. So that's why I really recommend those. And again, setting up your own private family Zello channel, huge. Um, now I want to talk a little bit as we conclude with how all of this can be evangelical and why some of this stuff in here that we can use the disasters can help us. I've told the story many times of being at a friend's house. They had a kid's birthday party going on. The mosquitoes came in. I went out to the truck and grabbed the, the off, brought it in, and just left it there and said, I'll pick up another bottle on the way home and replaced it. And it was a hero because they were going to move the party inside, and nobody really wanted to do that. There were too many kids in too small a house. That's just one example. Remember I said a little flask of alcohol, right? Oh, I don't drink. Well, then don't you don't carry it, right? Then, then you carry the grain alcohol that I'm going to talk about in a second here. But have you ever been somewhere with a buddy or something? You said, yeah, too bad we can't have a drink right now. Guess what? I'm prepared. You know, a little scotch of soda or whatever it is that does it for you. Well, where'd you get that? Oh, here's my bug out back. Check this out. Here's my radio. Hey, you want to listen to a football game? Right? Pop open the little transistor radio, put the football game on, have a scotch and soda. Guess what? You just converted somebody to the concept of preparedness, and you had fun doing it. You know? Um, if you're somewhere where you need light, and you pull out that little USB light and pop it in somewhere, and you got a little, little cool mood light going on, where'd you get that? Oh, it's my, my, my bag. I keep this with me so in case I ever need anything. Well, what would you need anything for? Well, I'll just put this light away. There. Well, wait a minute. Put that light back. See, that's one of the greatest ways you can reach people when they say, well, what could go wrong? Well, then you don't need this. So wait, I like that. Well, see? I mean, uh, beef jerky, right? If you're, if you're somewhere and like you just kind of like hanging out and you, you, you kind of got, ended up stuck somewhere for longer than you want to be and your buddy's like, man, I'm hungry. Let me get my bag out here. I'll have to get a new bag of this at the store when we get going. But here, we'll have some beef jerky and uh, here's a bottle of water, a uh, bag of nuts. Well, what do you got that for? Well, it's my 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 my, my uh, emergency kit, my 72 hour kit, in case I need anything and I don't have it. Well, what could go wrong? You don't need that jerky. You don't need that water. You don't need those peanuts. You, you want that? See, this is what could go wrong. This is how simple this is. This is why this isn't tin hat stuff. Have you ever been anywhere and thought, gee, I wish I had some food with me? Gee, I'm thirsty? Or when you're, when you're out and about and a kid falls and scrapes their leg and they're crying, and you know how many little kids, all they need when that happens is a Band-Aid. I don't know what it is about little kids. 
I know I was this way when I was like five. It hurts. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt that bad. You put a Band-Aid on it, they all smiles and they're happy. It doesn't hurt anymore. If you have a Band-Aid when your buddy's kid is crying because he fell at the soccer game and nobody else does, you're a hero. And why'd you have that? Oh, well, this is my bug out bag. I keep this in case there's ever something that goes wrong so I have what I need. Well, what could go wrong? Go get the Band-Aid off your kid's knee and give it back to me. Nice. Don't be a jerk about it, but just make the point. There's, how about, like I said, in the garbage bag? Make sure there's one of them kind of up high where you can get it. Have you ever been somewhere that just needed to be cleaned up? Pull out that bag. Well, what's it for? Uh, same conversation. Well, what could go wrong? Give me the bag back. I'll put it away. You don't need it. You know? You know, you go over to your buddy's house and somebody trashed the front yard and you pull the bag out and clean it up. I mean, I don't know. To me, a lot of this stuff is just every... See, this is why I tried to make today's show about not specialized stuff. Trust me, if you go somewhere and everybody's like, their phones are dying because they got delayed or whatever, and, and you whip out a thing with four USB ports and plug it into a cigarette lighter and everybody can charge it at the same time without fighting about it, assuming they have cables, you're a hero. There's so many ways... This comes around. Somebody needs a Ziploc bag. I think we got that covered, don't we? You can fix anything temporarily with a multi-tool, uh, duct tape, and zip ties. Yeah, I can see a myriad of instances where, hey, how do I deal with this? Hey, let me get a zip tie out of here. Will you just have a zip tie? Yeah, look, here's my bag. What do you need that for? Give me the zip tie back. Do you, you see how, how quickly preparedness becomes normal? When somebody needs something and you have it, you say, well, if you don't think it's necessary, just don't don't use it. Go get your own. With a smile on your face, not being a jackass about it. This is preparedness. That's what this is all about. So I want everybody in this audience to commit over the next 30 days. If you don't already have one, you're going to build a bug out bag. If you already have one, you're going to go through it. And you're going to think about this episode, and you're going to find the places that you're missing stuff, and you're going to shore those up. And then you're also going to realize it'll never provide everything that you need, and there's different places for different things to go. And I want to tell you about a project that I'm going to start working on after the next event, because I've been asked to do it by so many people. I'm going to put together like a 30-day YouTube series, like five-minute videos, that talks about stuff like this. But when I do this, right, so I look right now, and let's say we use 15 minutes in the intro section. Uh, we're at a minute and 30 almost right now, so we're like a minute and an hour and 15. Sorry, we're at an hour 30 almost, so we're at like uh, an hour and 15 minutes doing a very basic bug out bag thing. So what I'll do is like the bug out bag will get introduced in a video, maybe third or fourth video in, and it's like, today I want you to put this one item in your bug out bag. And that'll be like this soft entry point for new people to the show where they can learn about all the advanced things that we talk about. And I'd like your advice for what you want in a series like that, what you're looking for in a series like that, so that you can take a brand new person and say, here is a free 30-day basic preparedness course. And I'll make a commitment to this audience. I won't sell a damn thing in it. I might have some links, and in those links, I might have some Amazon affiliate codes or something like that. I might as well, if I'm recommending some people buy it. But there'll be, no, there'll be nothing to but buy It'll simply end with, hey, now that you've come this far, 
You consider listening to the Survival Podcast. Here's 10 great episodes to start out with, and we have a new show out every day, Monday through Friday, five days a week. That's it. And I think it would be a great way to get more people involved in the preparedness movement if you can show them materially how it benefits them. See, as I close today, what I want you to realize is that's what I've tried to do from day one. And it's one of my tenets of modern survivalism that some of you may have never read or heard. It's actually my first tenet of modern survival philosophy. And it is everything that you do to prepare for emergencies, disasters, or economic turmoil should be blended into your life in a way that improves your life, even if nothing disastrous ever occurs. So that we're not doing things just in case things go wrong. We're doing things to have a more resilient, better quality life, even when nothing goes wrong. If times get tough, or even if they don't. That's why I have that clunky, long, worst tagline ever, but I think it's worked out really well over eight years. I'd like to thank everybody that's been part of this show through that time. And if you're new to the show, I hope you enjoyed today's show. If somebody shared this show with you, thank them for it. It may save you from an inconvenience, or it may even save your life someday. That's what this show is about. It's putting the power back into the hands of the people who've had it taken away from them with the philosophy that you don't need to worry about it. Well, let me put it to you this way. No one will ever worry about you and your family, and your loved ones more than you. So don't trust them to worry about you when you know they already don't. First responders are amazing. That's why I give them a discount on memberships with the site. But they also are limited in number, and when there's a big disaster, an incident commander will tell you the following. Dead rescuers save no lives. My first duty is to the safety of my rescuers. So in a huge disaster, many times an incident commander for the first day or two is just setting up logistically so the first responders can begin pulling people out of the wreckage, so to speak. You are very likely to be on your own for a day or two or three or more during certain emergencies. So it's incumbent upon you to worry about you. I'm concerned about you. If somebody shared this show with you, they're concerned about you. But in the end, you're going to have to do for yourself and your family It's what we call being a responsible adult here at the Survival Podcast. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. came from Venus And women came from Mars Then I'd be lunching with my boyfriends While you girls talked about cigars But that's not how it happened Evolution took a different turn We may be creatures with some unique features But we still got a lot to learn We've made it nearly 20 centuries A bunch of monkeys with PhDs Spun away But it's all still entangled to me I can't tell the spiders From the dangling flies and moths I feel like some outsider Who seems to have his wires all crossed I can't patch you, my love I can't keep me 
Ladies and 